Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon, and I'm here to talk about a few new books this week. It is not a super big release week, but I do have a handful of books to share with you. But before we do that, I really want you to listen to an interview that I did right at the end of 2021. And this is with author Beatrice Hitchman. We talk about her novel, All of You, Every Single One, which is a historical novel that deals with some queer issues. And I really enjoyed Beatrice's insight into you know, everything that went into writing this novel. Um, I hope that you enjoy hearing the interview as much as I enjoyed participating in it. I'm going to get started with the usual housekeeping information, and then we will move right into the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon. And today I am talking with author Beatrice Hitchman about her latest novel, All of You, Every Single One, which was released here in the U.S. on January 4th. So before we get started, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. What an absolute pleasure to, to, to be in conversation with you. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. I would love it if we could start out with a brief introduction to all of you, every single one, so that listeners have a bit of an idea what to expect. Sure, yeah. Um, so it's it's a historical novel, and it really focuses on um, two main characters, uh, Julia and Eve, who are both both women who elope together, <laughs> they have a big love affair, and run away to Vienna together in uh, 1910. And so the book really focuses on, on their story and how they negotiate that transition from the, the flush of first love and romance to the actual gritty social conditions and questions around how you actually make a, a longer relationship work. Um, and one of the big factors that, that threatens their, uh, I guess, marital harmony <laughs> is the fact that Julia actually would really like a child, but clearly without any reproductive technology available to them, it, you know, it's obviously a very hard dream to, to fulfill. Um, and along the way, they they meet a kind of ragtag band of, of um, friends who become their family and help them to, yeah, 
negotiate the, the obstacles. Yeah. And so the book really spans quite a long period. It goes from 1910 all the way through to after the Second World War, following following the journey of those characters. I love a good, like sweeping historical novel that you can just sink into. And they, they just they're so long and lush and lovely. Yeah, thank you. That was that was really a big um a big thing that I wanted to achieve was was getting people to feel that they knew the characters and that they'd really lived part of their journey with them, you know, that they'd accompanied yes. them along this trajectory. Um I was really struck by I don't know if you know that book by Michelle Faber called The Crimson Petal and the White. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> I haven't heard anyone talk about that book in such a long time. I read it as part of a an online book group probably 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And so you- it was, I, gosh, it's like one you don't, you don't hear a lot about. Like when people read it, they love it, it seems. But mm. the group of people that talk about it is is so small. Oh, well, there you see, we're in the elite group of <laughs> Michelle. Yes. I mean, I yes. think it's completely brilliant. And it is, like you say, it's such an immersive historical novel. And I mean, he is such a fantastic, gifted researcher and the level of historical detail is so um, huge. But he has this quite unusual perspective of, a, you know, a, a sex worker in Victorian London. And yes, there's a lot about social mobility and um, it's just such an immersive experience. You know, it's one of those books that I really grieved when it was over. And uh, I really I've always yeah, I wanted to do something a bit like, you know, inspired by um, by that that piece of piece of fiction. Oh, it, it's just, it's amazing to me, you know, how many of those really immersive books I've read, but mm. how few of them I actually feel like get a lot of attention. Yeah, there's something, oh, there's something about, I think, just really huge historical novels that can be a bit outfacing. <laughs> you know, I think you need, it is a commitment, you know, of, of time. It's true. You have to like the period. I think, over here, I, I don't know how how much she's had a huge impact in the states, but of course here we're living in the the Hillary Mantel era of um, oh yes you know, yeah it's a, yes okay so there's huge huge books you know and the latest one I think was out last year the Mirror and the Light the last one in the trilogy and yes she's really yes, those are huge books. oh they're big big over there too yeah okay oh yeah yeah and yeah. I think the the audio books of some of those are like close to thirty hours long. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, yeah. A time commitment. But if you're commuting or if that's your preferred medium for, for ingesting books, then yeah. I yeah, guess. then you can just like sink in for a long, long, glorious read. Yeah, exactly. We were talking before about well, I was talking about reading in the bath <laughs> before we Oh yes. Yes. So, yes. With the Kindle or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely not the Kindle. And probably not a massive historical novel because you know, heavy, right? So it might get wet. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I have discovered the joys of a Bluetooth headset. And so I suppose if I were to do a book in a bath, mm-hmm. I might do that. <laughs> that you know, that's not a bad idea. I might add that to my customizable setup. <laughs> like the, you know, you can get the ones that are like splash proof so that you know, if they do get a little wet, like nothing catastrophic will happen. Um, and they, they work very nicely if that's a thing that you want to do. Like if you're an audiobook fan, um, okay. that might work yeah. well for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's a great suggestion. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> so this is your second novel, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, the first one was out in 2013. Um, so that was, again, weirdly set around the same time period. So 1913 um, in Paris. Uh, and it's a story about a woman who falls in love with a kind of older female film star, and it's all set around the silent film, silent film oh, studio. Oh, okay, I need to find this. <laughs> Thank you. I think it's been reissued um, on the back of, of the back of this book. You know, I think I saw something about it. I think it had like a like a 2020 like reissue date. So hopefully, yeah. it won't be too hard to find. No, I don't think so. I'm I'm sure it's available as an ebook still as well. Um, I will take a look. Yeah. So, do you have a particular affinity for this particular time period, or is it just sort of coincidence that you've written both of your books kind of in this era? You know, it's so interesting because I wouldn't say that I have got an affinity for it. You know, I I think if you were to say, oh, there's this exhibition about 1910s Paris or Vienna. I wouldn't really go. I wouldn't think, oh, yes, gosh, that's something I'm really interested in. But ah, OK. It's so odd, but something must be drawing me back. And, and I did think about this a little bit. And I, I wonder whether it's um, something around the advent of, of modernism in art. So um, ah. this kind of new artistic creativity, all of this new forms of expression. And, and I suppose in parallel, um, you know, the birth of sexuality studies, Sigmund Freud, the idea that um, different sexualities and different genders, I guess, were, were um, I'm expressing myself poorly here, but were, uh, you know, a thing, something that you could talk about and think about for the first time. So perhaps there's something there. But honestly, no, I would never, <laughs> I would never have said this is particularly an era that I'd like to return to or, you know, anything like that. It's, it's just one of those weird quirks of the writer's mind, I think. It's interesting because there are authors that I've talked to, you know, who who prefer to write in certain periods. I talked to someone last week who was talking about writing in the Victorian era and how even though she's written in other eras, that one, you know, is the one that kind of keeps calling her back. And so she, you know, purposely spends a lot of time writing there. And then you have other people who are sometimes taken by an idea or, you know, a, a story setting and it kind of draws them back there, kind of like what you're saying, but not necessarily because it's a period that they they love for a specific reason. Yeah, I think you're right. And I do feel like maybe historical novelists fall into two camps. And one is, as you say, perhaps someone that's drawn back to, say, the Victorian period because they just love everything about it. You know, yes. they love the gloves and the fashion and the, you know, the ability to not have mobile phones in it, which is as we all <laughs> Exactly yes. what you as a historical novelist. <laughs> no mobile phones. It's a joy. And, th- and then maybe the other kind of people, perhaps more like me, who, who use the period as a lens to say what you want to say about something, you know. Um, so uh, certain historical contexts provide uh, opportunities to say certain kinds of things and have certain kinds of characters and scenes play out. So, yes, I don't think I'm a, I'm a committed 1910 uh um, but, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, for example, Sarah Waters is incredibly or has been incredibly invested in, in Victorian history and research. Um, oh, you know, Sarah Waters tipping the velvet. Fingersmith. Yeah. 
Oh, oh I know. My favourite. Yes. <laughs> Aren't they fantastic? Yeah. I love oh, them. Yeah. 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 Yes. There Did was you... one she wrote, The Night Watch, and that oh. one was hard for me. Like I, I could not I could not get into that one. But Fingersmith and Tipping the Velvet and um Affinity, I think, are are just so, so wonderful. Yeah, gosh, they're really absolutely extraordinary, aren't they? Did do you did you also kind of drop the book when you got to the middle of Fingersmith and got to the, the twist? Yes. I was like, whoa, oh. like how how did that happen? Like <laughs> wait. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember putting the book down and saying, you can't do that. Can you do that? Oh, yes, <laughs> you can. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just you can do exactly that again and again and again. Oh, I know. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, I also struggle a little, a little bit with the Nightwatch. I mean, I think it's an absolute technical tour de force, but I think I was just a bit distracted when I read it. And so I, I struggled a bit with the kind of jigsaw puzzle putting together aspect of it because it's disrupted timelines, isn't it? And you kind of. Yes. Now it's kind of like, wait, now who, who are these people? And like what, you know, how do they connect? And unfortunately I, I never did get through it. I was just like, no, like I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. You know, not every book is for every person at every stage of, you know, that's okay. That's true. That mm-hmm. is true. So can you talk a little bit about the research that you did for this book and kind of just how how that worked for you, especially since you know, it's not like you can travel back to the 1910s and really like see what it was like in Vienna? No, exactly. You you definitely can't. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, the research was a little bit of a challenge just because for the first book, uh, my French is reasonable, so I didn't struggle to access sources in French. Um, but my German is only just passable, you know. So oh. I did a lot on Google Translate, which was not great, because a thing that's really useful to do is to go onto digitized newspaper archives. And that gives you oh. a huge amount of information about contemporary prices, the kind of things that were for sale, what the little adverts are you know, what the what people considered newsworthy at the time is is a hugely rich resource. But actually, one of the things that um, I wrote about in the book, I already knew about, and that was a case study um, by Sigmund Freud. I don't know if you know it. It's called, uh, oh gosh, something, mm, God, I should know this. St- case notes for a study in hysteria. Um, and it's it's the 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 case study of, of Dora. Uh, oh yes, you know that one. So I was a psych major in college, okay. and so I got to learn way too much about <laughs> Sigmund Freud. Sure, sure, yes, absolutely, yes, and a, a figure that's viewed with some suspicion by. <laughs> by indeed, plenty indeed. Of people. Yeah, and indeed, the the case study, the Dora case study, is. Um, a really good text for teaching, I think, how major thinkers, brilliant thinkers can get stuff wrong, you know. And so it's um, it's it's an analysis of a young patient who comes to Freud with uh, a form of mutism and a persistent cough. So she can't reliably use her voice and she's got this cough that doesn't result from an infection. So he asks her what's been going on. And um, she says that a family friend uh essentially has made advances to her so she's 14 years old and this young male friend of her father's has taken her to a lake and 
you know, made some yeah. kind of solid plans. And uh, Freud basically says, well, why why weren't you interested in this guy? He's young. He's handsome. What's wrong with that? <laughs> and in the course yeah, of Yeah, because that's a good good response right there absolutely that's very conscious therapy fantastic yes very Um, good and in the course of the analysis it becomes clear that actually she's much more interested in in the man's wife that (laughs) you know that yes um, she's very feels very close to this woman and and Freud just writes that off entirely and when she discontinues the analysis he says oh well um she didn't come back to finish the analysis because she must have been in love with me and that's where we get the concept of transference from I believe um I'm sure you've read more about this kind of thing than I do but it was such a fascinating story and I already knew it so one of the voices in the book is this Dora-like figure um going through this analysis and living out this fairly claustrophobic difficult relationship with family um so that piece of research was kind of already done you know, and I just needed to pull that into the book somehow. Right. Actually pull it in so that it would kind of be integrated into the story that you're telling. Yeah, right. So um, I like to write from lots of different perspectives. And so her perspective became one. And then it was just a question of, well, how is this going to intersect with the lives of these two women living at the same time? Um, yeah. So. Do you like in your own kind of personal reading when you're not researching, do you read a lot of things that are set in this period? Like, do you have kind of a familiarity with um, with fiction that's that's set here? Honestly, I don't really. (laughs) I read a lot of um, Austrian novels uh, set around the same time when I was researching the book. But since then, I think you often have this knee jerk reaction of wanting to get away from that period for a while. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And I, honestly, I'm I because I my day job is is teaching creative writing. I it's it's a struggle because I'm reading students work such a lot. Oh, of, yes. You know, I feel like I'm always reading, but I'm not always reading the things I would like to be reading. Um, so anytime I get a chance at any fiction, it's great. But mostly it's sort of, you know, undergraduate dissertations and so forth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so when you can actually, you know, read fiction of your own choosing what kind of things do you prefer oh okay well one thing that I'm really excited about is this new Hanya Yanagihara book um is it called To Paradise so that is on my list there's a book by Antoine Wilson uh which I'm really looking forward to which is a kind of thriller-ish novel I I really enjoyed PJ Vernon's Bathhouse which was oh yes kind of gay thriller which I just found impossible to put down <laughs> you know I just I could sort of see that I was being manipulated but in a nice way oh yes so, but in like the way that thrillers do so well yeah absolutely but I think my all-time favorite book and the book that I religiously reread every year is is The Secret History you know the Donna Tart novel oh Donna Tart um, yeah just because I just think she's kind of technically and emotionally really um exemplary exemplary writer although I couldn't quite get on with the goldfinch somehow I was Um, just gonna say I have the goldfinch sitting here on my ipad and I keep kind of thinking about it like do I want to read this and there's a big part of me that like really does but then mm -hmm. I, I keep getting distracted by all these other things that that come out and like okay like this has been out for a while I'll just wait Mm-hmm. And then I read other things and somehow I never, I never actually have read The Goldfinch. My partner read it a few years ago 
and really enjoyed it, but I never have. Okay, yeah, same here. My wife read it and, and said, oh, it's fantastic. And I got one chapter in and I just couldn't quite get on with the voice somehow. But maybe I'll pick it up again, although I can barely lift it because it's it's not so much a book as a weapon, is it? Like, it it's quite uh, quite substantial. I'm, I'm fortunate, you know, I have it um, on an iPad, so uh, it yeah. it doesn't have to appear quite so uh, imposing. <laughs> yeah, maybe you know, it's just an enormous file. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, but you don't think about that when you're when you're looking at the iPad. That's true. No, no. I'm just like, oh, the iPad. Okay, lot like lots of books here. <laughs> yeah. Tuesdays here are book release days, and so I'm always very, very happy um, for you know the the swath of, of new books that come out each week. Okay. And how do you choose? What about you? What do you read? Oh, so many things. Um, <laughs> You know, a lot of things I read kind of for the podcast, like I've got a group of women who present with me. And so we usually do episodes like based on themes. So this week I'm reading dual timeline novels. Okay, wow. Um, so right now I'm reading a book that is set partially in 1925 Chicago mm-hmm. and then also has a part that's set in like 2019 um, in in Chicago as well. So I'm reading Dual Timeline right now. I love psychological thrillers. Um, I have been a devoted romance reader since I was like 12. Um, Yes, historical fiction, I think is amazing. There's just so, so much that's good out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also been creepily obsessed with (laughs) post-apocalyptic zombie fiction. Oh, okay. Oh, and okay. and that's it, that's weird to me because normally, like, that's not what I read. Like, I don't really like zombies. If I were to actually like sit here and talk to you about zombies, I think like zombies are not great. <laughs> but there's something about this genre of books where you see people trying to you know form new societies after sort of the collapse of the old um, that. I just find really intriguing. And so I, mm. I do read, um, you know, a, a sprinkling of, of zombie books. Oh, have you read that amazing book, Severance by Ling Ma? That is sitting here waiting for me. Oh, uh, I think, well, you know, it's one that I always um, thrust into people's hands if I can. And it's not exactly a zombie story, but it kind of is. Right. Uh, it's like a plague kind of like. Like virusy story, I think. Yeah, I think the plague makes people intensely nostalgic. So it traps them in a loop of their past feelings, which is a really beautiful idea, as well as obviously devastating. You know, so it's a clever take on on a zombie novel. But I was going to say, I read some academic criticism the other week that said that in times of economic um, abundance, vampire stories are where we go. But in times of economic scarcity, zombie stories tend to come up, Um, I guess, because it's about the fracture of civilization and trying to find a new way. So there was a theory that, you know, after the global financial crisis, you know, after 2008 and the stock market crash, that's why we saw this massive resurgence of of zombie stories and post-apocalyptic dramas, because we're all trying to collectively think through these things, you know, um, which is so interesting, isn't it? I don't know. Yes. And now we have COVID, which, you know, sometimes when I read these zombie books, I, I wonder like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how, how close are we to, to this? Not that I think, you know, people who have COVID will turn into zombies, but it, it does kind of um, 
enter my mind periodically. Yeah, no, I completely, I completely get that. And I was watching that film, um, I don't know if you've, you've seen it, uh, Just Look Up, it's on Netflix at the moment. So it's got Leonardo DiCaprio and ooh, Jennifer Lawrence in it. Uh, yeah, and it's a story about a kind of big comet potentially hitting the earth. So again, there's a lot of filtering and thinking about collective, collective experience. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah, the main Netflix thing for me um in twenty twenty two will be the second season of Bridgerton. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Somehow yes. that completely escaped me. I don't know why. <gasps> oh! <laughs> I know a shocking admission, but maybe it's maybe that's what I'm meant to do in twenty twenty two. Well, I guess it depends. Like, you know, for people who love the romance genre, I think oh. Bridgerton is is everything. Um, I don't know because I have been a romance reader for so long. It was sort of just a natural thing for me to want to see that play out on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if love stories, romances like aren't necessarily your, your thing, I don't know, um, if Bridgerton is, is something that would appeal to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like, in my opinion, glorious in, in every possible way. Mm, that's fantastic. I definitely have a sense of of a very exuberant series, visually very interesting. But yeah, I love a romance plot. Absolutely. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. That sounds maybe oh, it's yes. nice. <laughs> oh good. The oh, first the first season was out um on Christmas Day of twenty twenty. And then we're waiting now for the second one, which I think is supposed to be released in March okay counting the days then (laughs) yes and they are based on the Bridgerton novels by Julia Quinn um Mm -hmm. which are like Regency era romances that I absolutely love oh that's very interesting I used to well I did my PhD at Bath Spa University which is a big creative writing center near Bath in England which is where you know lots of the Jane Austens are set ah yes and spent some time there so it was a very interesting experience you know going out as a student to the bars in Bath and walking around you know you park your car and everything looks very much you know it's a heritage site so things are largely unchanged you know so that was kind of magical doing this very modern thing but in the in the Jane Austen setting um yeah okay Mm. so now that this book is out in the world both in the UK and in the US do you have any idea kind of what's next for you? I do actually I have a a third novel in draft um, which is partly historical and partly present day. Um, (gasps) Dual timeline! timeline, Yes or even triple timeline I'm not sure so one of the things I'm really interested in this in with this book is thinking about the very remote past so potentially Neanderthal and cave painting past. I'm oh. very interested in this challenge of how we uh, how we write species that may not be like us um, and how we write what may be pre-linguistic societies, although we don't actually really know if Neanderthals had spoken language really or, you know, we're not, we, we don't know. Um, and I've been really interested. There's a book by um, an academic called Rebecca Rag Sykes, uh, called Kindred, and it's focused on um, 
Neanderthal communities and what Neanderthals could do and how their societies kind of differ from our own, but also how incredibly similar they were and how advanced they were really in their tool making. Um, there's a question mark around whether they made art, you know, whether some beads were part of a necklace, you know, some of the archaeological, oh, yes. archaeological findings are really interesting and kind of argue for an understanding of Neanderthals is actually much closer to our own um Homo sapiens. So that's really interesting to me, particularly in the context of, um, well, racism, frankly, and believing that ah, some, yes. some subspecies or some races are inferior or superior to others, which is something that we've all had to kind of, you know, it's an ongoing, obviously ongoing huge thing. And um, yeah, so that's that's something that I'm thinking about. Sorry, I, th- I feel like I just geeked out at you there. <laughs> no, that, that is totally okay. Okay, I feel like I'm in a marvelous thing. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's going to be a key component. But otherwise, I don't I don't really know. I tend to write making up as I go along. I'm not a planner at all. So it could turn out to be about, you know, fridges or railways by the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will definitely be keeping an eye out uh, for for more news of this. Um, because I think like multiple timeline novels are just some of the best, best things out there right now. Fantastic. Thank you. Have you read, I assume you have read the um, Kate Moss Labyrinth? You know, I have a bunch of Kate Moss here and I have not read it, um, but I, I do own it. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of hangs out in this like huge <laughs> amount of books that need to be read at, at some point yeah in my absolutely. existence yeah to be Kate Morton well. does some remarkable school timeline books um yeah and so I usually look for things that you know are, are similar to, to those because I, I just think she's amazing yeah well gosh yeah I was totally enviable career yeah I've not actually read any of her books but I you know I recognize the cover which tells you everything you need to know about her success ah <laughs> uh, yes the house at Riverton was her first and I think it's published in the UK under a different name oh could be could the be. shifting fog I believe it is okay um interesting yeah but it is okay. the house at Riverton here so I read that like back when it first came out and then I, I usually keep up with her um you know her new releases whenever they they appear mm-hmm. they always make me very very happy fantastic yeah and is she a fairly yes. regular publisher publish um, a book every two years i would say every few years um i can't remember she wrote the clockmaker's daughter a few years ago 2018 or 19 i think um and I think that's been the last one that I've seen fair enough okay yeah yeah you know I think like in the beginning I feel like when she was first kind of getting started um I think they came out a little more regularly um but now you know it's a bit more spread out so you can't always predict when you'll have a new Kate Morton you just know that you know when you do it is a great and glorious thing (laughs) well then that's a lovely surprise at some point isn't it that's great yes well I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me and let my listeners know a little bit about not only 
the book that you've written, but just a little bit about who you are as a person, an author, a reader. Um, I think, you know, it's it's wonderful when people can get kind of like an, an inside look at some of the authors that we read. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed um, enjoyed our chat and enjoyed getting some good new book book recommendations from you as well. So thank you so much. It's been oh, really that's pleasure. my favorite thing. Like the book recommendations are like the the thing that like keeps me <laughs> it keeps me going, I think. But we have been discussing the latest novel by author Beatrice Hitchman. And this is all of you, every single one. And as I said, it came out in the US on January 4th. All right, so new books. Next week is chock full of fantastic releases. And this week is a little slim. So I'm going to tell you about a few highlights, but if you don't find anything here um, that you're super excited about, hang on until next week and I'm pretty sure you'll find something then. So as always, I'm going to start with a few things that you've heard us talk about before. Um, I'm starting with a book that Sarah mentioned. This is Savvy Sheldon Feels Good as Hell. It is by Taj McCoy and it looks utterly delightful. Stacy is looking forward to it. Natalia is also, and of course I am. Speaking of Natalia, she mentioned on our um, most anticipated releases of March episode, The Next Thing You Know, which is the latest novel by Jessica Strasser. And I am super excited about a novel by Jane Cowie, which is called Curfew. So those are a few things you've heard us mention before. Now let's move on to some things that we haven't talked about. Um, I'm going to talk about some young adult books first. We have The Wolves Are Waiting. This is by Natasha Friend, and it is about a report of sexual assault in a small town and kind of how that investigation goes and how it impacts both um, the person who made the report as well as the people who are connected to it in various ways. We then have Remember Me by Estelle Lure, and this is kind of a sci-fi book. It's basically, if you could remove your most painful memory, like, would you do it? Hmm. This is Remember Me, and it's by Estelle Lure. We also have Kiss and Tell by Adib Koram. Um, this is contemporary YA about a boy who is on tour with like a hot new boy band and kind of all the things that go along with that, um, considering the fact that he's queer. So is he going to kind of come out to his fans or is he going to kind of play the straight game? This is Kiss and Tell, and it's by Adib Koram. Moving on to some mystery slash thrillers. Um, if you are a historical mystery fan, you may be familiar with the Maisie Dobbs series by Jacqueline Winspear. A Sunlit Weapon, which is book 17 in the series, is out this week. 
Um, Amber, I know, is a big fan of this series. I have read the first book, and it is something that I keep meaning to come back to and just so far haven't. But the first book um, takes place between World War I and II, um, and then I guess moves up in time, you know, as the series progresses. So this is A Sunlit Weapon, Macy Dobbs, number 17, by Jacqueline Winspear. If you like Big Little Lies and the other kind of like domestic suspense um, that fit in with that, this next book might be one that you are interested in. This is The Lying Club. It's by Annie Ward. It's that, you know, group of women who are all keeping secrets. Um, and of course, you know, all these secrets come out or at least have the potential of coming out and what happens. Annie Ward wrote um, her first book a couple of years ago and it was more of a like a marriage focused thriller. So I'm interested to see her kind of breaking out into like a wider um, cast of characters. But this is The Lying Club and it's by Annie Ward. And last up, I have a book for my urban fantasy people. This is Quicksilver, Crossbreed, number 11 by Danica Dark. I love, 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 love Danica Dark. Um, I think the Majory series is probably my favorite, but I do like everything she does. So this is Crossbreed. It is a spinoff kind of, of of the Majory books and of her seven series. But you see um, Christian, who you met in the Majory series here. So this is the 11th book. This is Quicksilver. It won't be out in audio until May, um, which is a little bit unfortunate. But it will be worth the wait because N Nicole Poole will be narrating, and she is absolutely amazing. If you haven't picked up this series yet, um, go way back to the beginning. You can go all the way back and um, start with Sterling, which is the first major book. You can go to the seven series and read seven years. Or if you're just interested in reading Crossbreed, you can start with Keystone. But this one is Quicksilver, and it's Crossbreed number 11 by Danica Dark. And that, my friends, is all I have for you this week. Hopefully, you are reading lots and lots of good things. And if you are um, in my part of the world, I hope you are enjoying the start of spring. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.